Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we have already been witness today to those who have put their lives on the line for Jesus Christ. And so we pray that when we come to these matters of faith and practice, that you will help us to learn from the scriptures how we are to be obedient to you. And then grant that the Holy Spirit might show us what is real, what is ephemeral and it will pass away and what will never pass away because it is allied with thee help us to be faithful use the gifts which we bring for the purpose of honoring and glorifying the name of the Lord Jesus and bringing the good news of his life-changing power to many we ask this in Jesus name amen I have so many things that I want to say, and I, I use these cards that I get out of shirts from the laundry uh, <laughs> to write on at night. They won't fold up so easy. And I was looking at this list a while ago and thinking, how am I going to readjust this sermon to get it in in time for communion? And it reminded me of a little boy out in Texas who was watching the preacher uh, fiddle with his notes, and the preacher said, I've got so many things here to, that I don't know where to begin. And the little boy held his hand up and said, why don't you start toward the end? <laughs> so uh, anyway, we've had a blessing to hear our friends this morning. Let me read to you some words from scripture. This is from J.B. Phillips' translation of the warrant for the Lord's Supper is given in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. I love the chapter, the paragraph heading. To partake of the Lord's Supper is a supremely serious thing. These are what Philip, this is what Philip translates. The teaching I gave to you was given me personally by the Lord himself, and it was this. The Lord Jesus, in the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. It is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Similarly, when supper was ended, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new agreement made by my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This can only mean that whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. So that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord without proper reverence is sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. No, a man should thoroughly examine himself and only then eat the bread or drink the cup. He that eats and drinks carelessly is eating and drinking a condemnation of himself for he is blind to the presence of the body. Now the reason that I read those words and I will come to our other scriptures briefly in a moment is that this year at the meeting of the General Assembly in Orlando, Florida, there was a spectacularly awful thing that took place. There were a group of activist homosexuals, not repentant, not sorry for their sins, but determined 
that they would force their way of wickedness upon the entire church. The moderator had agreed that they could have a demonstration, which was a terrible mistake, because they came forward during the communion service with bread which they had made and demanded that that bread be used at the Lord's table. Now, the Bible is difficult to understand about a great many things, but it is not difficult to understand the sin, sin of homosexuality. In the very scriptures where the liturgy for the Lord's Supper is given, in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, we read these words, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. This means there is hope you can come out of it, but you do not approve of that evil way of living. And yet that was what was being demanded there. I am thankful that another, this wonderful woman preacher here, I'll listen to any day, and the lady who is the executive press, our presbytery, Caroline Gorley, uh, at this meeting of the assembly would not take of the Lord's Supper when this took place. How can you drink of the cup of the Lord and of the cup of devils? And this is rebellious. It's against God. You can't approve of that. Dr. Howard Eddington, in whose church the General Assembly met, would not participate in that observance of the Lord's Supper. Let a man examine himself, said the scriptures. And here, when we come into the church and you see this big snowy white cloth over the communion table, as a little boy, I used to come into our church in Paris, Texas, and I would look down the aisle at that great huge communion cloth that was there. And I knew right away that everyone that day would be very serious because we were partaking of that which represented what took place at Calvary, where Jesus died on the cross for us. And it made a great deal of difference. You see, these words Paul writes to Corinth again, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, <clears throat> why is this appropriate to that meeting of the assembly? It's because some people have made an idol out of their sexuality, out of their idea of what sexual, uh, sexuality is. The American Psychiatric Association in the 1970s a declassified homosexuality as a deviant behavior and a very controversial decision. And uh, that decision has not been agreed to by a, a great proportion of its members. Whole books have been written on it uh, because it's wrong. It's contrary to nature. It's con the dogs know better. Uh, and, uh, and yet the church in sanctioning this or even thinking about it. They voted to study it for three more years. Why do you need to read three more years about it? It doesn't take three minutes to read what the Bible says. And you know, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. Not the cup of blessing which we bless as sharing in the blood of Christ. 
Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we are all partakers of the one bread. And then Paul talks about how the nation of Israel, look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? You remember when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, that he demanded that they should not do the evil things into the lands where they went. He told them that they could not go into the groves of immorality and do those things. They had to be separate. Come out from among them, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And sodomy was condemned all the way through scripture. Winston Churchill, in writing to Lord George, when Lenin uh, had succeeded in having the Tsar's family killed in uh, Russia, uh, Churchill wrote to Lord George and said, uh, to recognize form of government, you might as well legalize sodomy. It's destructive to the whole process, and so is this. You can't, uh, such things should not be among Christians. What do I mean? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything at all? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, the sacrifice to demons and not to God, I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Now that's plain enough for anyone to understand. What Paul is telling these Corinthian Christians is that I know that some of you are tempted to go to the temples where there are big restaurants and you can make important business contacts there. And yet there is a sacrifice of the food that is made to a demon. You can't take of that sacrifice because that's wrong. I cannot come and take a bread by people who are going to say, I don't care what the Bible says. I will do what I please sexually. To do so is to be in rebellion against God. And Paul says very plainly that those who commit such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In simple Anglo-Saxon Appalachian English, that means you're going straight to hell if you do that thing. So it's, the warning is abundantly clear in Scripture. Christians have got to have a higher standard than that. Look at these people who suffered for the Lord here this morning. And think of the silly, effeminate Christianity that we see so often here in the States. It's not an idea of how much sin you can get by with when you belong to God. It's how far away you can get from sin so that you will not live in an evil way but under the Lordship of Christ. So then, how will I approach the Lord's Supper in order to be right? That's why I put the other in there. He told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. That is, these people who demand that the way they want it is the way it's going to be. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week, I pay tithes of all that I get, but the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, 
but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Now, when I come to Christ, and I am humble, and I tell him that I have sinned miserably against him, there is great of forgiveness and life-changing power. But I may not storm into his presence, demanding that he accept me and allow me to continue in my evil. He loves me too much to let me do that. And so Paul is telling us in Corinthians to examine our hearts when we come into the presence of the Lord. And Jesus is saying to us here, don't be arrogant when you come to the table, but be humble. Be willing to be brokenhearted for your sins, to let God speak to your mind and heart so that you may be cleansed and forgiven and then changed into a brand new life in Christ Jesus. You see, the communion table speaks of the death of Christ. We are remembering his death for us. And it speaks all to us, also to us of his life his resurrection, his power over death. We have no crucifix on which is hanging the body of the Lord Jesus. We have an cross showing that he has risen again from the dead. He is victor over all of that which is sin. One of the most graphic sermons that I ever heard was a sermon that I listened to on tape and I listened to it over and over again. It was by James Ray Goff, who was a student for the ministry in Chicago and he used to ride out on a train to a suburb south of Chicago uh, to preach and in those days in the 1930s on the train when you went out uh, there would be a conductor who would come on uh, into the car where you were and ask you if you had your fares ready and then when you approached the station where you would get off the train uh, the conductor would step in and call the name of the station and Dr. Goff said that as a seminarian, he used to ride out past a place where there was a cemetery. And the name of that cemetery was Calvary. And he said he was always haunted by the voice of the conductor that came into the car where he was and called out, Calvary next. Calvary. Anyone for Calvary? And he said there was never anyone much for Calvary. It was a place of death. But then he said as the years went by and he came back, he rode out riding instead of on the side where the cemetery was on the other side of the train. And he said he heard the conductor call out, Calvary, anyone for Calvary? Calvary next, anyone for Calvary? And he said he saw a man get up and straighten himself and start off the train. And he said that he looked out the window of the train. And then he saw what had happened. A housing project had been put up on the other side of the road. And he saw little children run out to meet their daddy. And what had been a place of death was now turned into a place of life. And he thought these things are a parable. And they teach me about the cross of Jesus. Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels 
will find it. Mr. and Mrs. Chen are going back to China. They may very well lose their lives literally in China when they go back, but this does not, does not deter them. They know Jesus Christ. Their Christianity is not just a little thing you play through on Sunday morning and go away and try to forget it the rest of the week. No, it's their life to tell others about Jesus, even though it means suffering, to work, to support themselves, to teach, and to preach the gospel, the good news of Christ. Anyone for Calvary? Well, when you come to Calvary, you find forgiveness. I've got to close. I can, the other night I had an interesting experience. Dorothy came back to the room. I've been recovering from a sickness. And she came back and said, honey, there's someone at the door who wants to meet you. She went to the door and a little short guy came in and I put my glasses on and tried to look at him and there was a strange familiarity about his face and I thought, who is this? He said, do you remember me? And he said, James. And I said, James Douglas Bailey. <laughs> the last time I saw him was in 1948. That's a long time ago. Almost 50 years. The last time I saw James, his, he was leaving, 1945. He was leaving to go to California. His people had gotten a job out there. We were little kids together. And I loved James. He was one of the finest boys I ever knew. Strong little guy. Uh, a very, I remember him as a very good fighter. I used to say that to touch James was like touching electricity. Uh, he came alive very quickly. And I loved to have him with me because he was good insurance. If you were around bullies, they, they backed away with James. And he never picked a fight. And James and I got to talking. And we just had a wonderful time. He spent the night at our house. He'd gone through Asheville on his way back home to Savannah, Georgia. Had not seen me since 45. Had looked in the phone book when he was in a motel in Asheville and saw my name. And came out here to see me. You know what we talked about? We were together the day Pearl Harbor was bombed. We were 11 years old. And we were together when Pearl Harbor was bombed. I remember selling extras, newspapers, a special edition that was put out to tell people that the Japanese had now bombed us and we were going into World War II. And you know, strange things happened. He went his way. I left Paris and threw two $20 bills that my Sunday school teacher gave me. I hitchhiked across Texas and went out to Texas to live in the home of an old school teacher who said she would give me a place in her home and teach me. The greatest Christian I ever knew. Her brother was James O. Richardson. He was the commander-in-chief of the United States fleet, both the Atlantic and the Pacific fleet. Mr. Roosevelt fired him in February 1941, 10 months before Pearl Harbor was bombed, because he refused to keep the fleet in Pearl Harbor.
He came to visit when I was there. And I thought about him many times because during that war I'd read everything I could about uh, Pearl Harbor and the decisions that were made, and you couldn't get the truth much during the war. In fact, it's just now beginning to surface. And I thought about Admiral Richardson, and James and I discussed all of this. We talked about it again. Because he, this lady was from our town in Paris, and so was Admiral Richardson, and so we were very much interested in uh, what history was now surfacing and what was coming out. And now we have Japanese friends, and then we were so intense in our uh, dislike for the Japanese because of all that had taken place. And this caused me to be thinking. And I remembered reading about a man by the name of Mitsuo Fuchida. You know who he was? He led the air attack that bombed Pearl Harbor. You know what happened to Mitsuo Fuchida? He died last year. Mitsuo Fuchida, who had led that attack on Pearl Harbor, the war went on with all of the horrors that came about during that war. And Jesse Junkin, who is here this morning, spent three years and six weeks in a Japanese prisoner camp in Manila. I thought about Ms. Shos, who regularly worships with us, who spent time in one of Hitler's prison camps. There are people in this congregation who know what suffering is like and what hardship can be. Well, anyway, during that war, there were 11 American Baptist missionaries in the Philippines who were slaughtered, killed, executed by the Japanese soldiers. They put them together and shot them because it was too much trouble to keep them. One couple in that group asked the Japanese commander of the execution squad if they could pray for 30 minutes before they were put to death. And he said yes. And they prayed, then they were killed. They had a daughter who had come, uh, who was here at home in the United States. When she got the word of the atrocity against her parents, she became bitter. She hated the Japanese for their stupid cruelty. And she could get no peace with God. And then one day, she, when she was asking the Lord to remove this terrible hurt from her heart, she began to think, what did my mother and father pray for in those 30 minutes they had before death came? And she thought, I know they would have prayed for me. And she thought, I know they would have prayed for those men who shot them to death because that's why they went to Japan, was to win them to faith in Jesus Christ. And so she asked God to forgive the hatred that she felt for the Japanese. And she went out to a prisoner of war camp where Japanese who had been brought from those islands to a prisoner of war camp here in the United States. She told the commandant of the camp that she could speak fluent Japanese and that she wanted to come and work among the prisoners, and she did. One of those prisoners said to her, why do you come out here every week to work with us? And she told him. Told him about her mother and father who had gone as missionaries of Jesus Christ to Japan. 
of how they had tried to get back and were caught in the Philippines and how they were killed. And this man said, what kind of God is it that would forgive people for such a thing as this? She told him about Jesus Christ. She gave him a New Testament. He read it, and his own life began to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He, after the war was over and they took the prisoners back to Japan and released them, he found one of his old schoolmates that he hadn't seen in a long time. And his schoolmate was Mitsuo Fuchida. And Fuchida said, what's the matter with you? You've changed. Your whole life is different. And he said, I want to tell you about this American who taught me about Jesus Christ and who gave me a New Testament. And Mitsuo Fuchida said, I want to see that book that tells about a God who can love the people who are so hateful and mean. And he read about Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Luke. And so much was going through his mind that it was hard for him to get it all clear. And one day he took a train into Tokyo, and when he got off at the train station in Tokyo, a man came up to witness to him who belonged to what was called the Pocket Testament League. And I joined the Pocket Testament League in 1944. I got my little Pocket Testament with me today. And that man witnessed to Mitsuo Fuchida and gave him a tract. He read it and understood the gospel. He gave his life to the Lordship of Christ, and he worked in the Pocket Testament League until last year when he died. The man that led the attack on Pearl Harbor. You see, God can take our hearts and minds and change them. No one should hate a homosexual. They should be loved. I have friends who are homosexual. I don't approve of the way in which they want to live. And the ones who have talked to me the most are not happy with it either. And I have paid for them to go to psychiatrists to get help that they could give. And I want to show love and kindness. But I will die before I will say that this is a life Everybody thinks that if you just call something lifestyle, you can do anything you want to. But that's not so. Hitler's lifestyle was to kill Jews. And you can't do anything. Jesse James' lifestyle was to rob banks. Jesus' lifestyle is for us to live according to the rules laid down in God's Word. And he won't ask us to live a way that we can't live. And so when we come to Christ, we can find forgiveness. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. So when we come to the Lord's Supper, we examine ourselves. And if we find that there is sin there, we confess our sins. And then he is just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. Let us pray. Our Father, as we come to this old hymn, we thank you that we who are sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, may know that Jesus ready stands to greet us. We thank you for the beauty, the love, and the power.
So let conscience make us linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. Help us to know that all the fitness he requireth is to know our need of him. Help us to know that need today and humbly to submit ourselves to his power to make us right. We ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Our hymn of preparation is printed in the bulletin, I will arise and go to Jesus.